Welcome to PSQH the Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of PSQH. On this episode, I talk to LRC Systems founder and CEO, Dr. Shailesh Tate, about how U.S. hospitals responded to COVID-19, what to expect as we enter flu season, thoughts about a potential vaccine, and the threat of co-infections. This episode is part of PSQH's celebration of International Infection Prevention Week and is brought to you by Angelini Pharma and Gojo, the inventors of Purell. And now, on to the interview. Hi, this is Jay Kumar. I'm Editor-in-Chief of PSQH, and I'm joined today by Shailesh Date, who is an epidemiologist and founder of LRC Systems. Welcome, Shailesh. Thank you, Jay. Thank you for having me. And um wanted to talk a little bit. This uh, this is airing during uh, International Infection Prevention Week, um, sort of special episode we're doing. And, you know, we wanted to talk about... Uh, the threat of co-infections and COVID-19 and sort of, mm-hmm. um, you know, how those can emerge. So uh, tell, tell the listeners a little bit about, you know, what that is and, you know, what you're, what you're seeing out there. Sure, sure. sure. So, uh, uh, you know, as with, as with any, uh, you know, respiratory disease or with some of the respiratory diseases that are common, uh, like influenza, we always have this threat of co-infection. Uh, with influenza specifically with flu um we have uh you know pneumonia as one of the one of the complications and actually it it can be um you know it can be quite troublesome uh, for 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 the, for patients interestingly uh with covid we haven't seen the same kind of profile of co-infections in, there was i mean it's a new virus and we were not sure what we were going to expect but uh, fortunately, we haven't seen anything that has been, uh, you know, that that can be classified as, you know, uh, being an extra burden on patients who are also infected with COVID. Uh, there have been, you know, in my chats with people who uh, see patients on a regular basis, uh, you know, one of the things that has emerged is, you know, because people are on vents, ventilators, and then that that is, you know, you get the sort of a similar profile of uh, co-infection as you would have. Um, for someone who is on a vent for some other reason. Uh, but other than that, we haven't seen the kind of um, pressure that that you would see uh, from a co-infection uh, for COVID at least, as, uh, as you see, let's say, for influenza and so on. But are, are you see, do you anticipate that uh, that could change, um, you know, as sort of people are getting back to work and, you know, back out into, you know, more crowded situations? Uh, well, you know, so there's, uh, I think there's a segment of the population that is definitely going to be exposed. We have a lot of people, uh, you know, especially uh, older age groups who might be uh, suppressed, uh, immune suppressed or uh, on medication that kind of dampens the immune response a bit. Uh, so those are the people when they go out, they might actually be um Sort of exposed to to some of these pathogens, and you might see there is a small chance that you will see um, an increased co-infection rate. Uh, on the whole, though, uh, you know, I think the fact that people have socially distanced themselves, you know, get, you know, not not mingled, has actually you know been a silver lining in some ways for for many of these things, uh, you know, many of these issues that we have with infection. So there is yes, there is a small chance as people open up. But um, based on what we have seen so far, at least there's not 
that's not a huge burden of coin fashion. All right. Um, and uh, now, you know, we're almost seven months into, you know, this pandemic. Yeah. What have you seen over that stretch in terms of our level of infection prevention in our, in our healthcare facilities? So uh, there's been, I mean, <laughs> you know, one, there, there are a couple of answers to this question. And, uh, you know, sorry if I, if I uh, laughed there for a second. That's because, you know, people have not been going in. You know, so many elective, so many elective procedures have been canceled or moved away. So not a lot of people have been actually visiting hospitals and so on. But that is going to change. And, of course, that will, that will change our um, uh, you know, that is going to change, uh, you know, what is going to happen uh, later on. Um, but um, in terms of uh, infections, again, um, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting, uh, you know, I, I actually, if I think about it more, I have a feeling that, that uh, we would, uh, we would see a certain, Actually, uh, you know, if if I may say, you know, bring another point here. I'm sorry again. You know, that I've been thinking about uh, a couple of other things. We have, uh, you know, we have all these uh, these people who have stayed away uh, because you know hospitals have not been, uh, you know, canceling procedures and, and now bringing people back. But there's another angle to it now. Have people who've been in hospitals been exposed to COVID? And that is another interesting. Uh, sort of you know point that we have been looking at and even that has not been i mean i think the the precautions that that these hospitals have taken they've they've actually been quite adequate in in many cases uh to prevent people who have come into the hospitals from getting covid infections so does that answer your question a bit or should i elaborate well i mean i guess you know i think what yeah what you said was you know, the hospitals have actually done a good job of limiting the number of people. Like even, yeah. even now, um, you know, like if I take my, my mother to the hospital for, for something, mm -hmm. I'm not allowed to go in, uh, as a visitor, exactly. uh, you know, so they're exactly. definitely trying to, you know, I think, uh, reduce that, that traffic. And I guess, you know, just the, the chance that somebody could bring it in, even if they're, uh, not a, you know, potential right. patient. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. And now of course we're, yeah. And oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying, uh, you know, those things and plus, you know, uh, I think over the past three or four, uh, you know, past, uh, not, well, not three or four, but at least a couple of decades, we, as we have seen increased incidence of HAIs, nosocomial infections, hospital-acquired infections, you know, we've been getting better and better, especially bigger hospital chains have been getting better and better at instituting protocols that naturally actually prevent, uh, you know, transmission to patients, you know, things that they didn't come in with. And I think uh, it's, it's been a nice, uh, you know, compounding effect, I would say. Those procedures, uh, those practices, plus the practices that have been put in place for COVID, and I think we've actually had, um, you know, a good control um, of, of all things uh, in, in actually making sure that patients don't get, uh, you know, don't have an extra burden of co-infection. Um, what are the challenges as, you know, we're now kind of entering flu season, uh, you know, and that sort of is, you know, annually a, a problem, you know, in, in, you know, just with more people getting sick and then yeah. you've got the potential 
you know, second wave, although I think we're right. still in the first wave of COVID, but like <laughs> how, how are, uh, how do you feel like, you know, we, we should be prepared to handle, you know, sort of that combination right. of, of the flu and, and right, right. So this, uh, a couple of really interesting observations there. Uh, one is that, you know, because people have socially distanced themselves, it has been a very interesting, it has had a very interesting effect on transmission of other diseases. You know, these, you know, transmission has been broken. And in fact, uh, if you read some of the latest, uh, latest epidemiological reports like MMWR and so on, uh, on the number of flu cases, they have decreased drastically. And so I am hoping, uh, we're all hoping that, uh, that this, this year the peak will be, you know, it won't be as high a peak. We'll still get some transmission, we'll still get some cases for sure, but I'm hoping that it's not going to be as high uh, as as last time, but I had a I had a conversation with another person, and you know he brought up a very interesting uh, point, and he said um, this 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 knowledge itself that we don't have a lot of flu, as it gets out uh, from the media into people's homes, and you know sort of people consume this message, there is going to be a reluctance to go and get themselves vaccinated. Right. People are going to so what this might actually have an effect on the number of people who might be um, sort of exposed to flu or you know get the disease. So that is an interesting aspect uh, of this whole sort of uh, you know dynamic that we have. Well, we have this dynamic around vaccination, anyways, um, and this this sort of you know information just exacerbates that uh, to some extent. So that is one aspect of the whole flu story. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second aspect is, of course, you know what what would happen uh, should we actually have this uh, rise in COVID with with the second wave or with you know these asymptomatic carriers now going and mingling in the population and we get a surge like sort of what we're seeing uh, in Europe again, uh, and it coincides with the flu season. So in some ways, um, this is as as a person who looks at the data, this is difficult to to predict what is going to happen. But again, I have a feeling that people um, themselves have um, people are very aware now, uh, and I think some of this awareness of sort of wearing masks and so on, even though if it's not very broadly followed, but the fact that people um, are uh, not uh, so readily going out and mingling with other people. Uh, but and they're they're wearing masks. The the use of hand sanitizers is is up and so on. I think this will actually have again sort of a silver lining, uh, and I'm hoping that we won't get this these these peaks coinciding and synergistically coinciding and creating a huge issue for us. Yeah, I was hopefully I was thinking a couple of days ago. I was talking to my wife and just think wondering. I wonder if we actually get through this winter without catching anything in terms of a cold because we're wearing masks all the time. We're not getting together with people. Right, right. We're not, we're not doing those now, in the winter that you normally do. Then you catch a cold. So um, Exactly, you know, exactly. Yeah. Now, that is also a very interesting point. We had this conversation. Now, remember that, uh, you know, there are certain segments of the population, especially children, who have not. Uh, so socially distant to the extent that adults have, and 
they are more likely to break social bubbles and colds are likely to circulate. And so there is uh, a small, uh, you know, again, not that big, but there is a small uptick in, in, in rhinoviruses and, and colds uh, in certain areas. Um, so, but it is very likely that you might have a winter uh, where you don't get sick, <laughs> at least, of, uh, you know, of a cold. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, like you meant, you mentioned, you know, sort of people, you know, congregating. I mean, there are definitely groups yeah. of people who feel like, you know, this has been long enough and, you know, I'm sick of wearing yeah. this mask and I'm sick of staying home all yeah. the time. Um, yeah. You know, we're seeing it in colleges where they've tried to, you know, get started again. And, and right. you know, there's, there's, right, one, right. there's one college in, in down the street from me where an entire dorm uh-huh. is being quarantined because I think like 70 kids wow. tested positive. So, wow. you know, wow. It, it's just uh, people aren't being smart about it, but um, yeah, you know, is that, I mean, does that make it just harder to get this thing under control when you've got people who are actively rebelling against it? Uh, yes. And um, you know, again, being not, not being <laughs> not a politician, but I'm going to say, uh, yes and no. Uh, you know, there is there is a certain, uh, you know, you have to realize, I think this is also something that um, policymakers should realize, um, you know, and epidemiologists have known for a long time, it's very difficult to control uh, interactions, social interactions. Yeah. You cannot, even if you have someone with a serious disease, like, uh, you know, uh, which which might be life-threatening, it is difficult for to to keep people apart. So that aspect, um, I you know, I personally think my opinion is that this should have been um, taken into account as we plan uh, all these social distancing measures. That there's going to be some people, you know, there's a you can sort of have a Venn diagram of all the different reasons why people will not wear masks or will mingle without masks or you know, there are, it can be something as innocent as, oh, I forgot my mask in my car, which might have happened to many of us, you yeah, know, and yeah. we've walked in and, you know, and then walked back to the car, gotten our mask. But in the meantime, we have been exposed and we have exposed other people. Right. So that's it's something as simple as that to something more, um, something stronger where someone says, um, someone actually actively refuses to, to follow the mandate. So we are going to have a spectrum of people, uh, you know, between these two conditions. And, you know, for all those reasons, you are going to have, uh, you know, uh, some kind of, uh, you know, a spillover, some kind of, uh, you know, transmission that is going to continue, uh, you know, sort of in, 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 a, in a smaller form than what you would have. But uh, that is going to happen. So... So that is sort of my ambiguous answer to this, uh, <laughs> that it, it would have been, uh, it's never easy to control, even with things like Ebola. We know that, I mean, Ebola shouldn't, you know, people who have Ebola often, you know, are uh, pass away very soon uh, from the disease. Um, but even that has the capacity to spread. So in the face of extreme danger to life uh, from a communicable disease, uh, people are still not able to really maintain that. And for, again, for, for many, many different reasons. So that is something that we should have always expected, uh, I think. So it it is, but I also at the same time think 
that we have done a remarkable job. I mean, where else in the world, when else would you have such remarkable consensus? It's like, hey, everyone is staying home. You know, people are making, you know, using hand sanitizers and, you know, not crowding, you know, in theaters and in places like that. And I think that's so. In some ways, you know, I, I'm an optimist, so I think that that is. Uh, you know, remarkable in itself that we've been able to control it to this extent. It could have been far more worse. Well, I mean, it's it's historic too. I mean, just you know, we've never yeah. seen this kind of a a mandate to stay exactly. home, and you know, things exactly. businesses are closed, and you know, like especially you know, from I guess March through July. I mean, literally nobody went anywhere. Um, you exactly. know, that's never exactly. like I'm. You know, I'm 53, and I you know. I, I can never remember a time where, you know, you couldn't just go to the store or, you know, go to a movie theater. Yeah. So it, it's, right. you know, it's, right. uh, it's pretty incredible. I mean, are you surprised right. that we're still kind of in this situation right now? Did you think it would be wrapped up by now? Um, you know? Um, no, I actually, I was one of the people I remember even as far back as, as, as March, um, you know, I remember having this conversation when the schools were just about to close about around two or three important points. Uh, one was that, uh, you know, it is going to come down to, you know, what is it going to do to you individually? And I think that is what people think about often. It's like some people have this feeling that if, even if they go outside without masks, it is, nothing is going to happen to them. Right. Uh, and how much of the state is willing to share this burden? You know, uh, this goes sort of, again, goes into our policymaking thing. We make people take insurance because, you know, if they if they do get sick or if they do have, you know, or if they get into an accident, we don't want the burden to be pushed onto the state to take care of, you know, what they should have done themselves. So that is one aspect, uh, you know, one big policymaking thing uh, that, that, that plays into this. The second thing is, from an epidemiological point of view, uh, you know, you can talk to any person, uh, any epidemiologist worth his salt, as they say. Um, if you have a person who does not show symptoms, an asymptomatic carrier, then what you get is in some ways a classic sine wave. You know, you're going to get infections. You know, there's going to be peaks of infections and then troughs. And in those troughs is when transmission happens and people say, well, I don't have any symptoms. Uh, and, uh, you know, but they might be positive and they might be transmitting. So that, that is how, um, you know, that is how I had interpreted it. So I, uh, again, I don't know, uh, if, if I was right or wrong, I still don't know if I'm right or wrong, but I didn't think that this would get wrapped up. I, I did definitely think that social distancing would have a greater effect than what, than it did. But again, in retrospect, I should have listened to my <laughs> to, to my own head and realized that you know, uh, as we know, uh, it is very difficult to stop communicable diseases. Uh, you know, e even with extreme. I mean, the only uh, I was thinking about it one day, and the only thing you can do uh, to really isolate people is do it under you know uh, you know under a legal pretext, like put them in prison. Uh, not even prisons to say, but if you put them in solitary confinement, that yeah, is the say. only sort of, yeah. Prisons, exactly. prisons have been that, even pretty bad for this too, right? I mean, because they're all crowded in exactly. there. So. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So it is, you know, there's, you know, and we can't go to that extent. Even if we have lockdowns, 
you know, you might have a lockdown, you might live in an apartment building, you might just pass someone, uh, you know, while you're going up and down. I don't know. I mean, there's so many different scenarios. Um, and this is what epidemiologists are always afraid of, is that, you know, if you do have uh, an outbreak of something that is that has more uh, a higher mortality rate than what this virus has shown, uh, it is going to be difficult for us. Yeah, and, you know, yeah, I guess we're lucky that you know, Ebola didn't spread like this because we really would have been yeah. in trouble. But Absolutely, yeah. Um, you mentioned uh, earlier, you know, the resurgences mm-hmm. in Europe and other parts of the world. I think India has had, you know, yeah. sort of a, a, a resurgence of cases. Um, you know, what are what can we learn from what's going on over in some of those other countries, uh, you know, uh, and how they're dealing with it, you know, second time around? Yeah. So one of the things, uh, you know, again, this is not to bash politicians and policymakers, but again, there is a nuance sort of, you know, it's, it's not, you can't heavy handedly say to people, lock down, stay home and okay, lockdown is done, mingled now. Yeah. So what, <laughs> like we did here. Uh, and I can imagine, <laughs> I can imagine some of these, I mean, they're handicapped and, you know, like I said, I'm an, I don't, I don't blame people, you know, people have been under extreme pressure to, to, you know, take care of their constituents and, and their population. Um, but at the same time, I think, uh, you know, there is, and it goes into some, some deeper issues and I'll, you know, I'll just go into them for one second, but, but there are, there are these, all these issues where we don't actually know. Uh, you know, what are um, sort of uh, routes of passive surveillance. So we don't have passive surveillance uh, technologies in place. We don't have collaborative technologies in place. And so for this reason, we don't actually know what really happens when a communicable disease spreads through a population. Does it spread through schools? Does it spread through prisons? Does, you know, what kind of, uh, should we actually ask, if, for instance, there was information about this kind of uh, a spread from passive studies, we could have said that, you know, shutting down schools is the most effective. It will get you 99% of the way. But we don't have that information. Right. We don't have platforms to share information in the right way. We don't have platforms to share. In fact, you know, people who have been doing so much research, uh, you know, and, and I'll go into that in, in, in a bit, but... There are nothing, nothing that, that people are doing is readily shared other than publications. You know, if someone else wants to do something, you know, extra with samples, something that is not available. So there is this, there is this nuance, like I said, in opening up. And I think that that's, if you focus on that and make sure that, you know, you don't do this binary black and white open close, then you would actually have a better effect. Um, uh, you, you would actually succeed more and not have these huge second waves. Yeah. And, you know, I guess as part of that is the whole, uh, you know, issue of contact tracing and, and you know, yeah. uh, trying to figure out who has been in contact with someone who's infected. And, and that's been difficult right, to right. do. What do you think, you know, how, how have we yeah. done, you know, with contact tracing so far? Uh-huh. Yeah, well, it's... Uh, uh, you know, if you lived in a democracy, then, you know, it's always an ethical issue. Um, right. You know, do you really want someone, do you really want to let someone know at all times where you are? Um, and it's very, it's a very uncomfortable thought. Um, and I can completely understand. Uh, and I have, a, 
although I also think that, you know, if we actually, one of the things that we don't do very well is we don't ask the people if they're okay with things. I think, you know, that if the same goes with like, you know, internet privacy and so on. You can actually ask people, <laughs> would you mind participating in a trial where we put this small app uh, on your phone or this, this tracing thing on your phone or some other thing, or you can wear like a Fitbit-like device that tracks you. And after the, uh, the you know, the, the emergency, public health emergency is over, you can give these back. And so we can reuse them for something else. So people would, I have a feeling, I would have been happy. Uh, and, you know, I've discussed this with, you know, whenever the neighbors have come out and, you know, socially distant, each person standing you know, on their front steps and, you know, shouting <laughs> and talking with each other. Um, but they have said the same thing, you know, is that, you know, if, why, you know, why, why don't you test me from my neighborhood or a bunch of people from my neighborhood? And we would be happy to drive by and get ourselves tested. And I think that that is something that, you know, policymakers don't really take into account, that people are willing to participate in some of these tests, uh, especially if it was to do with contacts and, you know, uh, people would be very willing. Except that I think people are a bit burned by the fact that, you know, once it's on your phone, it will never go away. Right. Uh, and that's where exactly the ambiguity comes in where I said uh, in the beginning, I'm not sure if I want to let someone know at all times where I am, even though, you know, people know. They, they already know. Yeah. I was just going to say that they're probably on Facebook and they're, you know, they, they mentioned some product and all of a sudden they're getting ads for it uh, in their Facebook. Feed. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So, um, there is, so there is, there is a lot of tracing. Um, and I, I have a feeling that maybe, uh, you know, for some of these things where people have already, signed up for, uh, you know, they could have done, they probably did do, I'm not sure, you know, but th that's, that's one way of doing contact tracing very easily, uh, which, uh, which I, I, but again, it's, it's, it's an issue. It's an issue. Um, it's not, not the easiest thing to solve. And is part of the problem, just the fact that we, you know, we really haven't had a pandemic of this scale before, you know, and so mm -hmm. we're not really prepared. I don't think even, you know, from a planning level, you know, to deal with these, yeah. these issues. I mean, you know, the last huge pandemic, right. I guess, was, you know, the Spanish flu, um, yeah, you know, so yeah. it's a very different time. You could just tell people to do yeah. something and they do it. But, um, yeah, exactly. but, you know, now, you know, just the whole, you know, just these, these privacy issues and the technology issues, uh, you know, they just, we haven't really mapped all that stuff out and not to mention the fact that we're still learning about this disease and don't have all yeah. the answers for that. And people are frustrated by that. Um, yeah. Yeah. What, yeah. What do you yeah. think? No, definitely. I mean, you know, we were, uh, you know, this is definitely a surprise to everyone. You know, uh, this is something if you talk to, you know, I, I'm sure that at least a percentage of the epidemiologists will agree with this statement that this is something that you sort of create a model for. You study in textbooks. You never expect to actually see it happen in your lifetime where the whole world shuts down or you have to actually actively stop, um, you know, airlines from flying and so on. So this is something that, you know, you would see, you know, maybe modeled in a movie or something. Uh, but you don't... Uh, you don't really, uh, you don't really see. So I think that, you know, then that, then the question is, 
how do you plan? And I think it touches back on, on the stuff that I'd mentioned before, is that if you put in place some infrastructure that actually allows you to understand how things, the sort of the properties of your population per se, in some ways, right? How do people move? You know, how do they interact? Where do they interact the most? Should we shut, shut down, you know, public transport systems as the first first measure or something like that and that would actually or should we uh you know but all this data is missing and so even if you have uh you know an astute planner a planner who's concerned about the population who's trying to do a good job just the fact that there is no information would actually hold that person back and so would it would hold anyone politicians you know city planners anyone Uh, then there's the other part of it which is which goes into the science realm um you know where you know how do you um, how do you actually make sure that the stuff that you're working on or the stuff that you've created gets shared across uh, and you know in fact we are trying to address one of these issues through uh, something that we are building uh, a repository called sample exchange but you know I'll talk about that later if you want to know more uh, but the idea is that you actually have to create these global sharing ecosystems these frameworks where people can instantly say, it's like, hey, is there something coming up? You know, we are seeing a lot of activity in Southeast Asia. Uh, Should we actually start thinking, is it spreading? What are the characteristics? And people will immediately say, hey, yeah, it's spreading. These are some of the few people that we've tested. These are the samples. You know, you might want to start thinking about, uh, you know, some pharmaceutical intervention. And that is how, you know, we can do it. But all of these infrastructures are unfortunately missing right and the the problem is the same as i mentioned about insurance you know uh, humans per se are very bad at predicting and sort of you know acting out you know making sure that things don't have bad things don't happen in the future uh they're very bad at 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 that and so uh, you know to ask someone to spend money uh, on something that will uh, you know prove effective uh, you know, in a sort of once in a lifetime event, people will say, uh, no, you know, we are not going to fund that. And they have said that repeatedly, even though we've had uh, some very good successes with, um, you know, very large malaria, very large um, AIDS initiatives and so on. But to have sort of, you know, this underlying framework, is it's going to be difficult. So you have these, you know, both these fears that, that need to actually actively uh, take steps to make sure that, you know, we are better prepared. So, you know, given all that, and obviously we don't know, you know, really it's hard to say when this is going to wrap up. What is, what's your prediction? Do you feel like, when do you think we'll actually have this under control? I know a lot of emphasis (laughs) is being placed on a vaccine and there's many vaccines being worked on and, and, you know, Mm. uh, probably I'm guessing not ready until sometime next year, but um, you yeah. know, w- what are you, what are your thoughts on sort of, you know, how long this plays out? Yeah. So um, uh, there, are two, there are two points to this. One is um, sort of one set of actions um, sort of uh, uses the vaccine as a central point. The other thing does not use a vaccine, uh, but asks, you know, if there is also a possibility that we get herd immunity or some some kind of uh, you know uh, the the virus passes out naturally through the population. 
So for in both cases, though, I don't see this ending um, really, really soon. Uh, you know, people will, uh, of course, um, not follow the guidelines. I think there'll be a bigger uh, set of people who will not follow guidelines just because they're tired and they're sick yeah. of, you know, staying home. So that is going to definitely affect it. Even if you get, a, and so and so about the vaccine point, even if you do get a vaccine, uh, you know, it is difficult for me to imagine that you would vaccinate the entire population of the United States very, very quickly. That just is from, just from a scaling point of view? From just, a scale, logistics, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, all of that stuff. Uh, would you, um, you know? And if you're already asking people to socially distance themselves, you're not going to ask them all to come into like, you know, a, <laughs> right, you know right. one theater. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, line up, you know? Yeah. So we're not going to do that. Everybody so, yeah. come to this one location right now. Yeah. <laughs> Get the vaccine. Yeah. <laughs> so so that, is, that is an issue. Who gets the vaccine first is an issue. Right. Can we make enough doses? That's an issue. We don't usually do, uh, you know, our, our trials on, you know, phase threes and, you know, some phases of clinical trials are done on very large numbers of people, but it's not never millions of people, right? right? And something that has been developed very, very quickly. And we are talking about hundreds of millions of people. And so you are going to even statistically see, you know, effects of the vaccine, you know, some, some side effects that are undesirable. How does the population react to that? You know, if you do see some side effects, you know, early on, uh, and they might just be a, a statistical blip, would people, how would people's perception about that vaccine change? So that is another issue. Are, is there a group of people who are, um, who are going to not take right. the vaccine at all right. if they're against vaccines? So you have all these different points. And again, you know, I don't mean to sound so... <laughs> such a downer but it would be a downer like this but but uh it is going to be a challenge and i think what people should do and i this is what i you know as, as many people as i can preach uh you know let's be clear-eyed about this as opposed to being emotional about this uh, and you know upset about this if you go into this with a lot more clarity and say this a b and c is our likely scenario let's prepare uh, and actually, let's make sure that, you know, uh, people's mental health and all these other aspects are actually addressed because we know that we are going through A, B, and C. I think that is a much, much better approach, a rational, planned approach. Um, anytime, I mean, even from children to adults to old people, anytime you expose people to a structure, people respond very nicely. I mean, they respond much more positively as opposed to ambiguity and uncertainty. Right. Uh, and you are seeing the effects of that. So again, from, a, from that perspective, I think we have to, uh, you know, if you do, we don't have to do much. We just have to tweak our responses a bit. And I think if we do that, we will actually have a much, much greater success, not just for this, for, but for anything else that we do. Well, I figure the next pandemic that comes down the road, we should be pretty prepared for that, right? <laughs> <laughs> having this to deal with uh, <laughs> hopefully you would be surprised <laughs> you would be surprised i would be surprised everyone would be yeah. surprised okay didn't you just have a i'm trying to be optimistic <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah so um 
you know, it is, it is, well, you know, I, I do hope though that the memory of this will last uh, within the population for some time and they will, uh, you know, automatically self-distance. So I think you know, that definitely has had an effect. People who never thought they would socially isolate uh, now know that they can actually do it, now know that it is effective, uh, even though, you know, some people might say it's not effective or, you know, you shouldn't do it. People themselves, you know, people are pretty, I mean, it's, you know, as the Leonard Cohen song goes, everybody knows, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, it is, it is, it is not something, it is not rocket science. You can see the effects of, uh, of it instantly. So that is, uh, again, sort of a silver lining to this, that if, that if we do, if we are faced with something again, then people will know what to do by themselves, at least for the next few years. Uh, and then, uh, if, like I said, if we actually have these systems in place, then uh, that is when we would actually be better prepared for sure. Yeah. Well, I like that optimistic view. Uh, Dr. Dade, thanks so much for joining <laughs> me today. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you. Thank All you. Right. Thank you so much for having me. And that wraps up episode 14 of PSQH, the podcast. Thanks for listening, and I hope you join me next time. I want to once again thank our sponsors, Angelini Pharma and Gojo, the inventors of Purell. You can find out more information about the podcast and listen to on-demand episodes on the show's page on psqh.com. You can subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. Thanks again, and stay safe.